And we're live. Awesome. Uh, welcome to the Brendan Swan Podcast. We're back after a couple of weeks, me and Mike. Um, how long has it been since the last time we recorded? It's been a few weeks. Four or five weeks? Yeah. 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 Busy times. Um, yeah. Holiday season. We're both yeah. working a lot of hours, but uh, we're back. And this is our first foray into TV. I'm excited about we've, it. We've talked about it quite a bit, but this is the first time. Um, I don't remember exactly how I came up with the idea for this episode. I think I was talking to somebody about uh, Black Mirror, and it, I just got the idea that I wanted to talk about some of my favorite episodes, but not necessarily. In, in many of the episodes that we've done together so far, we've talked about movies and done our best maybe not to spoil them or to explore the stories themselves. Um, I, I wanted for each of these episodes give a little bit of a synopsis of the episode. Fair warning, there, there's definitely going to be some spoilers today, but not so much that I think it's going to detract from watching the episode. Yeah. Because one of the things that I find charming about Black Mirror is it's it's more about the ideas than it is about the story. Would yeah. you agree or disagree with that? Well, uh, so it's kind of like a modern version of The Twilight Zone. That's what Black Mirror is. Can you, can you help me with that? Because I've actually heard that assessment made numbers of times, but I don't think I've ever seen The Twilight Zone. So... So Twilight Zone, the difference there is they had a host, and at the beginning of each short story, they would have a like a, kind of an imprint. Now imagine you're going to sleep and you wake up in another world, like stuff like that. Um, so in Black Mirror, you don't get that, but it's basically as close to the real world as possible, but mm -hmm. with some significant sci-fi twist or paranormal twist. There's some type of twist to it that makes it different in one significant way from okay. the actual real world, and it makes that story interesting. Um, yeah, so that's, it's, it's essentially a modern version of, of Twilight in an anthology, so they're all short stories. Not the, not the vampire Twilight. But. Yeah, the twi sorry, the Twilight Zone, <laughs> my bad. Um, and one of the things that stands out to me as what they're trying to do is they're, they're shortening all of their stories to an hour. So they're not a movie, but they're a little bit longer than like a regular sitcom mm -hmm. show. They only have an hour to tell their stories, and so each episode is kind of forced to make these decisions about which storytelling techniques they want to use, which which parts of the story they want to not tell, and which ones they want to tell. They only got an hour. You can't, you know, shove two hours worth of content into that. And what I've noticed is in those episodes, some of those decisions are made well, and some of those decisions are made not so well about which which sacrifices to make to tell the short story. Okay, so as we're going some, through some of these episodes, I'd like you to maybe give an example of that. Um, no, okay. Nothing specifically comes to mind. I, I think to some extent when I watch these, I give them a little more leeway than I might a movie um, because of the phenomena mm -hmm. that you're mentioning. They have to make consolidation decisions. Correct. You know, you have to sort of condense a story and make maybe make it a little more heavy-handed than you would in a if you had more time. Um, I think I have a tendency to just kind of let my guard down a little bit um, because of the environment that I'm in. I, I know that I'm watching now an anthology series. Mm -hmm. So uh, the rules are, they're not different. They're just slightly diminished. I guess. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, so I'm curious I, which ones you picked up on. So if we're going to talk about suspension of disbelief, that's where you, when you're going into a movie, it's not necessarily that you believe everything that's happening. It's that you're making this subconscious choice to not critically look at it and say, oh, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You're kind of suspending your disbelief. You're just letting it go. Like superhero movies are like yeah. that. I don't think there's an actual Iron Man capabil capability. Like, there's an actual guy out there with a suit flying around shooting things. Yeah. But in the movie, it's like, eh, it works, whatever, it's cool. That's suspension of disbelief. With the, the Black Mirror, since you know you're kind of watching this sci-fi thing, I, I I put my guards up, actually, and I start hmm. trying to hunt down. Like, all right, what's, what are they trying to pull over my <laughs> eyes here? So like, you and I were just talking about this off, uh, off microphone, that we have sort of a different... Uh, 
sentiment when it comes to watching things mm-hmm. where you kind of sit down and anchor yourself and just like you're vigilant looking for the twist looking for whatever whatever they're trying to run by you and i think i have more of a call it an organic experience where i just like to watch it sort of unfold yeah. but you you almost always predict endings of things yeah. that we're watching do you remember when i put when i predicted correctly the uh, post credit scene of eternals I no i don't about that what one. was it with kate with Kit Harrington's character. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't want to spoil it because it's right. still pretty, pretty crazy. And we're gonna, we're gonna check in on the MCU one of these days too. So yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll get back to it. Uh, yeah, but I, I actually wonder between the two different kind of uh, um, sentiments, which one is, I, it maybe it's not better or worse necessarily, but I kind of, I kind of prefer my way to just sit there and sort of let it unfold. So it, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, on the list of movies or the list of the episodes that we're doing today. There's one episode in particular where towards the beginning I decided I'm going to let my guard down <laughs> and I am not going to try to figure out. I'm just going to enjoy the movie without trying to figure out how it's going to end. And it was the, the, the episode I enjoyed the least. I so, wonder if there's a connection between that. I, I, I imagine there has to be. That's funny. So. so for reference, Black Mirror is an anthology series. I don't know if we mentioned that already. Basically, you can watch these in any order. Um so the order that we go in here is sort of irrelevant. This is just an order that I chose. And I chose five episodes out of their 20-something episodes that they have, the ones that I think are particularly good. Um, but anyway, uh, there are going to be spoilers. I, I don't think it's enough that you wouldn't watch, watch the show. One of the things that they do a lot in, in, uh, in Black Mirror is they, they tend to play with technology and, mm-hmm. and the implications it has in our society. And what's very strange to me, or interesting, is that they, um, they typically waver somewhere on the continuum of dystopia to utopia and sometimes things that start out as a, the appearance of a utopia turn out to be deeply dystopic mm-hmm. um and actually that's one of the things i like about the show is that they take ideas of human flourishing and they sort of turn them on their heads and yeah. say in spite of the fact that this may look like progress it might be hell yeah and it's it's funny to me how obviously these are fake shows but they seem like that totally could be the outcome if that piece of technology were developed. And that so, could totally happen. And some of these things hit hit close to home now. One of, one of these episodes fundamentally changed the way I've been behaving on social media. <laughs> I, I can't wait to talk about that episode. Oh, man. Uh, with with no, uh, no further preamble, uh, why don't we just jump into Let's it? Let's get into it. All right. Episode one, the first one that I chose is White Christmas. So... Uh, Let's, let's briefly just do a synopsis of that, and then we're going to kind of play with the concepts that they sort of portray in that episode. So do you want to want to take it where, where it kind of starts off, this guy wakes up in what is what is like a cabin, essentially? Is that the beginning? That's the first I remember. So there is the scene in the in the bar where um, John Hamm's character is whispering in the ear of some kind of uh, he, he's telling socially that, illiterate kid. He's telling that story to the guy that's in the cabin with him. Ah, uh, I think you're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay, so, so let's set the setting then. So yeah, this, this guy wakes up. Um, in a, in a, in a cabin, like a little kitchen area with with one one or two off rooms, very small area. He wakes up and there's another guy who's cohabiting. We think, yeah. we think is his roommate, and he's talking very cordial with him, like, "Hey, man, it's been a long time. Like, how you feeling? I made you Christmas dinner." And the the main character so that that his roommate is John Hamm, uh, and this character is he's he's in that new movie with the the letter to uh, where he writes the fake letter. I can't remember the actor's name though. Anyways, so they're they're in the room together and they they start talking and you get the, the the sense that they know each other, but they're also that they also don't know each other. So something's going on with their memory. You can kind of pick up on that. 
But John Hamm starts telling the story of what he has done in his life, what's why he's there. Yeah, what brought him to this place. And his job was, or not his job, but what the thing that he was doing as he's telling the story is... Uh, he's, he, he's a pickup artist. Yeah, he's a pickup artist. He has yeah. a, a service where he has people who maybe could not pick up on pick up women and he has like an earpiece in their ear and he's got eye, you know cameras in his eyes and he's walking him through trying to how to pick up these women and as the story gets gets told the guy's learning a little bit more and a little bit more John Hamm's revealing a little bit more turns out that that service he was also recording it and recording you know them successfully picking up these women and streaming as they you know had sex to this this other people who are have participated in this program it's like Hey man, you guys got to see it when I did it. Now we get to watch, and then there's 20, mm-hmm. 25 guys. And John Hamm keeps revealing more and more that he's he's kind of a creep. Like the, the the stuff that he's done in his previous life that led him to this cabin are all bad things. And the guy he's talking to, the one who's the main character of this episode, is kind of like wanting to know more, but also realizing that this guy is is a bad guy. But he, again. We're, we're in this guy's head as the audience, and we don't know how we know him. We just know that this main character woke up in a room. John Hamm pretended to be his roommate cooking dinner, and now is telling this story. And effectively, they're speaking about the place that they're living in as if it's some sort of a prison. Yeah, like, like, like you had to do something here. You had to do something terrible to end up here. Correct. Like it's almost like it's Siberia, but it's not. They're just in some wintry place where. They're disconnected from society. We actually never even see outside. Where everything is seen. All you see from, through, out the windows is snow. it's yeah. snow. Yeah, it's cold out there. Um, so, so John Hamm is telling this story in order to kind of soften up uh, his counterpart here to, to try to gain some familiarity, to try to get him to open up and tell his own story. So he exercises some vulnerability. He tells the story that you just kind of recapitulated. Mm-hmm. And a part of that story is while he was acting as this pickup artist. Um, that was his hobby. He reveals that that was his hobby. Yeah. So while he was acting as this pickup artist, there was uh, one of the, one of his clients ends up getting killed by the girl he's trying to seduce. Um, and as a consequence, he and all of his buddies online uh, are implicated in this crime. And that is the story how he ended up here in this mysterious cabin where they're now dwelling together. Yeah. Um, all this is a pretense, though, to try to get this person to speak, to tell his story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so- but we don't know why. I was going to, before before that's revealed, he, he's talking to this guy and he says, that was my job, the whole pickup artist thing. That was that was just a hobby I did. That's not what, my, what I did for work. Mm-hmm. What I did for my actual income was he was, uh, they had the Alexa device that they download the, the owner's consciousness. They See, they don't get into that till a little bit later in the episode. He reveals that before he reveals that's why he's, right? Am I, no, no, no. He So um, he tells a story about when he... Is essentially why he's stranded here. He's stranded here because of what took place that night with the, the the girl killing her, you know, killing his client. And then at some point, he reveals the, the technology. So go ahead and tell that story about the technology. So his his job was that this company would download the consciousness of a homeowner and put it into this device that was essentially an Alexa device. And so that Alexa device knew all of your preferences because mm-hmm. it's you. You know, if you like your toast cooked in exact way that thing can take care of it because it knows exactly how you like your toast it's you and uh, but the first thing necessary so this thing so is yeah. actually self-aware yeah. it is an actual duplicate of you as an individual and that consciousness is inside this machine and his job is to kind of wake it up so the the perception is this lady his actual human goes in for surgery for this this preparation she's going to get this alexa thing done and then she wakes up and she's inside of it 
And uh, oh, you know, I, I can't. Gotta, you said the magic word. Yeah, I can't say. I can't say that word. <laughs> She's uh, listening to us right now. Uh, so we're gonna have to come up with another pseudonym for yeah, I'll, for, I'll just, for that I'll name. Just avoid saying that. Yeah. So she's Alexa, still talking. <laughs> uh, so she she wakes up and she's inside now. And John Hamm kind of comes up on the, t- the TV. She's in like this room that's a simulation yeah. of the inside. And he's kind of like waking up like, you know, this is what's going on. You you are the consciousness. The real you is fine. And taking a nap right now. I'm the one who's prepping you for your job. What yeah. you're going to do is you're going to wake up. You know, you're going to, when you want toast, make toast. When you basically telling your, your job is to service you, you're not real service the real you. And. Of course, if that happened to you, like imagine you go down for surgery, you wake up and you're in this room. You're gonna like, no, this is not the case. Like, yeah. What's so his going on? his job is to break the will to, to of break these self aware uh, AIs. And, and the way he does it is he can just simulate. He's like, well, if you're you're uh, not gonna listen to me and not do what I tell you to do, let's see how you just like it with six weeks of nothing to do and just boom, sits down, for, for, fast forwards six weeks on the time. So this consciousness is living through six weeks in this empty room with absolutely nothing to do. And, and, he, and he is experiencing this as a few seconds. Yeah, it takes 30 seconds on his end and yeah. six weeks for her. And at the end of six weeks, she's, you know, nothing going on. Absolutely yeah. no simulation, stimulation. He comes back on and says, are you ready? It's been 30 seconds for him. And she kind of rebels again. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. Let me out. All right, six months, boom. And she experiences yeah. six months and then... Next time he comes on, she's like, please give me please. something to do. <laughs> please give me something to do. I've spent six yeah. months doing absolutely nothing. It's so boring. Give me something to do. Yeah. And then it kind of cuts to her. Um, you know, she's making the toast. Yep. Sitting in the fridge, waking her up. Like, she's, she's yep. the perfect in-home, smart home thing. And the main character of this episode, who's the one who woke up in the, in the cabin, kind of confused, not knowing what's going on. When he hears that, he's... Uh, sympathetic towards the AI. He's like, that. that's mean that you're doing that to what is it? It's a person that's consciousness. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Hamm's arguing, you know, it's lights and numbers inside yeah. a machine. It's not real. Yeah. And zeros and ones. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so then, then uh, all of this as it's happening is John Hamm is telling his story in exchange to hear the other guy's story. Like, yeah. you know, we've, li- he says we've lived here as roommate for years and I don't know anything about you. Today's Christmas. Let's finally make this the day we talk and have a conversation. And, and so it's he kind of like his heart in an effort to get. It's it's kind of like when you're in a dream. You know how when you're in a dream, you don't recognize how strange it is. Like yeah. I don't, I don't. Oh, yeah. In a dream, you don't remember why it is you're in this strange environment. It just seems normal, natural. You know this. This it these people be the most sort of absurd thing, and it feels normal because yeah. it's a dream. So this guy sort of wakes up in a dream in a stupor, not remembering exactly why he's here. You know, this guy's telling him that we've been here for five years together and we've never once spoken, and yet that doesn't seem strange to him. You know, it's it's very much reminiscent of a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Hamm tells him all his story. He he's he's trying to elicit some some freedom here, so that this guy can speak in exchange and tell a story. We don't exactly know why at this point, but finally he breaks him a little bit and he starts telling him a story. Yeah, and that this is one of the things that I appreciate. I think this is one of my. I don't know if of, this is my favorite episode, but because you're actually getting three three or four stories in one. You're getting John Hamm's uh, pickup story. Mm-hmm. You're getting his job story, what he does for a job. You're getting the the main character. We got to think of a, a character from. I, keep I know I can't think of his name. Um, his story that he's about to tell. We're, we're yeah. going to get to go over. And then the fourth story is why are they in this cabin? Yeah. So f- they, they tell. Well, there's all there's kind of a fifth one well. too. Consequently, when uh, John Hamm John Hamm's character succeeds 
at his mission oh, at yeah. the very end he inherits a reality that yeah. sucks which we have to talk about we will talk about yeah um so packing all that into the the, the hour runtime was they did it well they made mm-hmm. they made their choices well on this one um so yeah then the, the point comes where the main character now it's his turn to tell the story and uh before we get there, I wanted to kind of play with the idea of reality as a simulation. Because one of the striking, strange things about the idea that we could be living in a simulation is we would be living in it and be not, be not aware at all that we are. So is it not possible that we are already living in some sort of a simulation, that we're, we're a, a video game on some alien keyboard, you know? Um, yeah. How would we know otherwise? I mean... We want it. I don't want to try to wrap my brain around something like that. Well, the reason it comes to my mind is because if I think of like religious conceptions or religious mm-hmm. ideas, they all sort of invoke this this thing that this is, in essence, some sort of crucible. That life is some sort of test in preparation for the next thing. Yeah. How is that not a simulation? What you do in life has eternal consequences, according to a lot of religious are, ideology. Are, are you talking about a simulation specifically or things that can be considered like a simulation like are we actually in some type of a computer program well so here, probably not what i'm no. suggesting is how is it any different like i think what what confounds that idea for most people is the fact that we are organic creatures so you know, the, you don't think of an organic creature as being binary or code or something like that but how is it different though if a person is born into the world previously did not exist then dies and then there's something after that like and what is after that is is connected correlated to those that punctuation between life and death. That, that's how is, a, how that's is that big, not like semantically? I know, I know, but semantically though, is that not still some sort of simulation? Yeah, I, I, sure. But let me, if I'm going to do the counter argument and make it as simple as I can, I have real life, I have memories, I have experiences. If that's simulated, oh well, they're real to me. Oh yeah, like, I, I'm know. not, I'm not knocking it. Like I'm just, I'm just expressing the possibility that. That, that, that's been the kind of the great question that everyone, every, religion, science, everyone's tried to answer that. Is like, what happens after that? And the fact is, until we die, we don't know. Sure. If, if we die and find out this is all a simulation, okay, cool. If we die, maybe nothing happens. Like, <laughs> Even then, I could still make an argument that this is some weird simulation. You know, that you, you drop, you drop a, a, a little, you know, a bacteria onto a planet and just watch it evolve and grow into, you know, like... If this is a simulation, how come I don't have Neo powers? How I, I, come made I that, can't stop bullets? I made that joke before. If this is like some Sims on some alien's <laughs> computer, like, damn it, you need to be better at this. <laughs> like, yo, who's playing me? Enter some cheat codes. <laughs> Let's just, can you just give me money? It's just like, can that yeah. just be a code you enter? Yeah. Invincibility? No. So, uh, main character is telling his story. Do you want to kind of mm-hmm. go from there? Yeah, that? yeah. Okay, so... He starts to open up a little bit to John Hamm and start telling him a story that apparently he landed in this place. Again, it's all sort of in this foggy stupor that he can't mm-hmm. quite um, circumvent. But he, he remembers being in love with a woman. And he remembers at one point uh, she became pregnant and uh, didn't want to keep the baby. Yeah. And that was heartbreaking for him because he loved her and the idea of having a child with her was rewarding they they and exciting. They weren't married yet. But they yeah. weren't married yet, but, but they he, he loved her and he wanted to have the child. And they have a quarrel um, where they're debating about what they should do in this situation. Mm-hmm. And this is when they reveal to us that there is uh, a new technology in society that allows us to block each other. Yeah. So John Hamm mentions it, that his wife blocked him. 
Oh, that's but right. We don't we don't get to see what it looked like. So in this in this world that they're in, um, everybody has these uh, like ocular implants. It's the way that John Hamm was able to see what his clients were seeing when he would help them pick up pick up women. Um, so everybody has them, and you can't get them removed once you have them. And so he says, "My wife blocked me, and it's wife and kids because the." Block if you block somebody, it blocks you and all your relatives, your your blood, right. your bloodline. So, but we don't get to see what it looks like to him. He just knows that they were blocked. And then when we get to the main character story, we actually get to see what it's like, and it's basically a silhouette of that person that's just white noise mm-hmm. and like TV static. And you can't and hear. You can't hear. You, can't hear, each you can other. you can hear muffled. Like you can hear that they're talking, but you can't make out what they're saying. It's all just really muted. And Imagine like a virtual restraining order. Yeah. It, it's kind of like that. This, you and I have an argument and I decide I don't want to talk to you for the next 24 hours. I can hit a button and for the next 24 hours, I'll, I'll, wherever you manifest in my presence, it would just be a silhouette of you and white noise. Yeah. That's kind of what it's like. And uh, so there's a quarrel between this man and the woman he loves about the child that she has, uh, that she's about to have. And that he, she, wants, she wants to get rid of. He, she wants to get rid of and he's upset about it because he loves her. Um, this descends into an argument and she can't take his challenging anymore so she blocks him. And it, it, it is it is she's blocking him out of a frustration because he is right. Like he's he's making a lot of good like he's not being bad at all. Right. Like he's just saying like let's talk about this and she just out of frustration blocks him. Now there's a reason for that. We just don't know what it is yet. Correct. And uh, so unfortunately for this guy she Never unblocks him. Yep, and which uh, just sends him into. Yeah, and they they kind of do. I can't remember if they did like a montage or how they 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 remember, but I remember feeling like the passing of time was significant because. Well, she, so she, she so she goes away. To, this is this yeah. is how they they pass time in that. She goes away. She starts. She goes to live with her father, and uh, or no, she doesn't go to live with her father. She just disappears from his life entirely. The one thing he knows is that she always visits her father at Christmas. Mm-hmm. So the only opportunity he has to see this child. Um, which she ends up keeping, which he finds so, out. Yeah. Well, first off, it's long enough she has the child. We didn't say that. Sure. Sure. So she has the child. So she disappears, blocks him permanently, and then she ends up uh, going going off and living her life separately, yeah. separate of him, like, where totally he has left, no contact left, whatsoever. Left, left him behind. But the one thing he knows is that she goes to her father's at Christmas every time. Mm-hmm. So every Christmas, he's made it a ritual to go there and from a distance to just kind of watch. Yeah. Um, and he's watching. Again, so the, the these blocks work on you and your your children, your offspring. Yeah. So he doesn't actually see his his child. He just sees this little. He just sees block. a silhouette growing and growing year after year. Yeah. Um, which he he can't see, but ostensibly in his mind, that's his his child that he just wants to interact with. And and year three or year four, he recognizes that the shape of the silhouette is is adorned in a skirt. Yeah. So he, he now finally knows that he at least had a girl. He finally he knows know. that he had a daughter. Yeah. And so yeah, to, to reiterate how crappy these blocks would be like literally there's once you're blocked there's zero way to contact this person yep. like it eliminates everything not a letter not a phone call nothing. and and so as as far as he knows the only time he can interact at all with this with his his daughter is to show up at christmas but if he goes up to the door and and tries to confront them the jig is up he's going to ruin his only opportunity he has to have yeah. contact with his daughter and he, he wouldn't be able to hear them anyways right yeah. So every year his ritual is just to show up mm-hmm. year he's after just, year and, and witness from a distance from, from the woods. Yeah. Yep. And uh, 
So then he's he's at home, he's watching TV one day, and he's he's kind of content with his life. Like you know, he's he's sad, but he does get to see that silhouette of his his daughter once a year. And uh, then he's he's scrolling on the news, and his a picture of his wife pops up, or not his wife, this 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 lady who he wanted to marry pops up, and it's not blocked. And you're like, whoa, that's that's weird. And then it says, you know, act, victims of a I think it was either a train or a plane accident, and she's she's died, which. When you die, obviously the the mark the, the block goes away, so he could see pictures of her, and uh, that's when he realized, like, oh crap! If if her block went away, then by default, my daughter's block went away. Right. So he first thing flies out to his father's the, the father's house to go see if the daughter's there, and upon the revelation that it is not his daughter and it's one of his friend's daughters. And they they do it like this. They show clips of all these times when they were dating. Mm-hmm. That there was this, this other group of friends that were there. Who yeah. this guy was Asian. He's white, and then the baby ends up being an Asian baby. So, like, if it, it cuts back and it shows us, like, oh, here's the real dad. So he spent the last six or seven years fantasizing about a daughter that wasn't his. Correct. And he thought she was. Yeah. And upon the revelation, he can't he can't take it and he's 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 refusing to accept that this is a, he's like this is someone else where's my daughter where's my daughter and the dad who is this this girl's grandfather is trying to tell him like this this was never your daughter get out of my house like you're yeah. you're you have nothing to do here and out of frustration anger sadness he ends up picking up a snow globe and smacking the dad mm-hmm. uh, and killing him a snow globe that is conspicuously in the very cabin that he is now trapped inside yeah. of. Oh, there's lots of stuff. The clock's in the same yeah. cabin. There's lots yeah. of stuff from the real world. That Just, like the Just like a dream. Just like a dream, yeah. And uh, so you're, you're now you're, like, at this point, you're really into the story. Like, what is happening? What is going on with this story? And so this is when the, he's, he's, he's communicating the story to John Hamm, and he's telling the story that essentially he killed the... The, the dad. The, the and, grandfather but, to but the also, child, yeah. So what he did after that was he just left. He's yep. like, he couldn't do anything. He's like, I just got scared and left. Left the glo- snow globe, just got out of there. Yep. The little girl, this is in the, the, the... She's a frightened little girl. Yeah, and this is in, kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's just a uh, house in the snow. And she waits and waits and waits and nothing. And she, it's narrated by this guy. And he says, and I think eventually she decided that she knew she had to get out, go get help because help wasn't coming. And so she walks outside into the snow to go get help and then the camera cuts to her dead body laying in the snow you know like 200 feet away Mm -hmm. and uh then it cuts back to john ham and that's when i think the audience really realizes what's going on he's like so just just say it confess that you did that and you're like "Uh Uh uh-oh john john ham knows how to work a person inside a simulation yep and that's when we get the the one of the one of the final reveals where well, this so first, thing. first the character admits that he committed this murder, and that by extension of his murder, the, the he, girl, he the girl, girl died too. Yeah. And that's when John Hamm kind of says, "All right, beat me up, you know, take yeah. me out." Well, like, I, I think he stays in there a little bit longer because he has to actually has to has to hear him say, I "No, confess. no." Once I'm saying, once he says it, oh, okay, gotcha. Once, once yeah. he says it, he, he's the jig is up now. Hey, uh, bring me out. I'm done. Yeah. And and this guy's just disoriented, freaking out. Like, wait, what? What's happening? Yeah. And then that's when the, that's when we all realized what well you know that's when we put it together. So again, me me being yeah. the, the the guy like trying to watch for something. As soon as it was revealed that his real job was to break down simulated consciousness, right? That's when I knew. 
was like, oh, this guy's a, a simulated consciousness. So, so what we discover now is that this is a simulation, that this isn't the real person, that the real person is in a jail cell several several doors down, and they're trying to elicit a confession yeah. from the simulation. I actually love, And John Hamm is an interrogator. Yeah, I love the reveal for that when the, the two detectives go to the room oh, where yeah, the yeah. real main character is. You just confessed. And he goes, hey, we got a confession. From who? From you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, really close clever. Up, they close the door. It's like, oh man. And this is when the revelation is made that John Hamm's character is working for this agency as like a a, yeah. a subcontractor. So he yeah he comes out as some sort of a plea deal mm-hmm. because he's he's already in prison. The story he told to his his mark was real was a true story. Yeah, he's actually in prison. The only reason he's participating in this this interrogation is to buy goodwill. Yeah, and he's which really, he does. He's apparently really good at it. So yeah, he 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 gets out of the simulation and the the detectives who are there. Like, there's a comment like, man, we've been working this guy for months. This guy gets it in 28 minutes. Yep. He's like, eh, that's what I do. But. So he, he wins his freedom. Yes. With some conditions. With some conditions. He is, because of his, uh, uh, you know, he was he was spying on people through their eyes while they had sex and all this other stuff. He's considered a sex offender, which means they, they, they reveal this at the very end. He goes, everybody in the world is blocked. And he walks outside, and he liter- literally every single person is white noise and muffled sounds. And then they show him in their eyes, and he's like a red blob. Yeah, and he's yeah. So he's he's in people their know eyes. to steer clear of him. Yeah, he's not just blocked in their eyes. In their eyes, he's blocked. Plus, has this big, huge warning that says he's a sex offender. Yeah, they can't see him. All they all they and they don't know that his what his crimes were. Yep. But you know, they show their reactions. Everyone's staying away from him. Yep. And that's he always has a wide berth everywhere he goes. And that is the rest of his yep. life. Yeah. So, what is freedom at some point? Oh man, is that even freedom? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that one was was my my favorite episode. As far as like we said earlier, you have to make decisions to. There's probably stuff. There's probably so many scenes in these episodes that they wanted to, but just couldn't for time. Right. I think for the requirement to be as judicious as they have to be, that one made its decisions very well. I think that was, so too. That was a really good episode. So as a, as a kind of a funny segue, what you just said gave me a good segue for the next episode. This episode is almost simultaneously my favorite. It's not my favorite because I'm going to express which one actually is my favorite, but it's like my favorite as well as my least favorite. Like I hate this episode. I hate watching this episode because it's so cringy and so real. Nosedive. Oh man. So this is the, this is the one that's, that has, has changed the way I've been being. Acting on social media lately. Serious props to Bryce Dallas Howard for the character she plays in this episode because she she plays it so well and it's so uncomfortable for me to witness because it correlates and parallels reality just a little too closely. Way too close. And it's it's just so cringy. So So the premise. The the premise is there is a social score, more or less, a social interaction method. And it's, it's the same thing we do. Now with like, if someone text, text you, you have to either thumbs up it or heart it. <laughs> and if you don't, then you can rate that interaction. Like, oh, that interaction was bad. She didn't give me a thumbs up. So I'm going to lower, you know, give her a, a bad score. And your scores accumulate with every single interaction that you do. And there are punishments and rewards for having low or high. Let's, let's set the stage for that. So in some circumstances, if you wanted to live in a particular community, your score has to be above like a three and a half or higher. Or I think it's like forty. Like it was, well, there are different different whatever, circumstances, whatever but yeah, but just matter. to kind of give an idea of the social circumstances of what yeah. what what means to be an outcast. If you're an outcast, you won't be able to drive this car. You won't be able to live in this environment. You can't shop at this store. You can't shop at this store. Yeah. Like the the doors will have swiper, you know, codes where if you're below a certain threshold, you can't go inside. Oh, That's gonna happen to us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
she this the the main character Bryce Dallas Howard is man we got to be better I'm terrible at remembering I know I don't remember names. the characters name for, for, not from anthologies anyways because they're just they're it's so a short single episode yeah, it's a standalone thing episode. yeah um, so, so uh, the only names I remember from that episode are Bryce Dallas Howard and Alice Eve because Alice Eve plays this like social debutante who is way up in the hierarchy you know she's yeah. like a four point nine so it's like a score from zero to zero to five. <laughs> Um, and it's it's based on your social credibility. Yeah, and uh, she just uh, Bryce Dallas. I was going to say Jessica Chastain. <laughs> she's common mistake. She's <coughs> excuse me into the game. She wants to play. She wants to get that higher score. So right now she has a specific motivation. She's a four point two, and she wants to live in a place that requires her to be a four point five. Mm-hmm. So her friend Alice Eve's character uh, has invited her to a wedding to be her maid of honor and to. Um, <coughs> Give a speech. Give a speech at this wedding. And part of the reason that's so thrilling and exciting for Bryce Dallas Howard's character is because she's going to be surrounded with a bunch of fives. And apparently the way this this this, so, this society is set up is people who are fives who give you um, high scores vault you up quicker mm. than getting likes and affirmations from people who are in lower strata. That's how this society works too. <laughs> like I said, <laughs> this is uncomfortably yeah. familiar. But yeah, so... She, yeah, she's excited because she sees as her, her her ticket up, and and in kind of a weird twist, and it's it's actually quite gross, although still reminiscent of society. Um, Alice Eve is using her too because to elevate somebody of a lower stature is seen favorably yeah, she, in society. She's doing, yeah, she's like virtue signaling. Basically, both of them have these disgusting motivations yeah. um, in order to uh, pull each other up the social stratosphere. Yeah, um, so it's it's very very gross, and it's it's like. A three degrees off of of reality right now. It's it's not far off. Three degrees is gracious. I know. I know. It's, so it, it's funny. So um, throughout throughout the episode, the 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 plot of, of what's going on is she has one kind of negative interaction, which kind of puts her in like a, a, a stupor, and from there it leads to another and another and another, and she just her her social score let's, keeps lowering. Let, let's talk so, about that. I, I want to talk about that, that scene. So I, I just wanted to say like the the, the way that this is portrayed on camera though is some they'll, they'll have like a conversation someone holds open a door for yeah. her and she'll say oh thank you and like make this huge display of showing them that she's <laughs> taking out her phone to, to give them a yeah. like and they're doing the same thing and everyone's just like oh i'm giving you a high score look yeah. i'm giving you a high score that's so gross man that's it that's, makes it makes reality very transactional i know that's the part that's got me because it's so I, cringy I do it man on, on social media if someone, it's if like someone, you're trading it. Some, someone sends me a message and I don't want to respond. Oh, as long as I like it, it's okay. Or <laughs> you, have, you have to react to the text message with the emote or something. And oh, that, this, that reminds me of something. Like, that's that's the the system is already happening, and I'm going to stop playing it. That reminds me of something. Ever since we've had smartphones in our pocket, it seems to me that pe- some people interpret that as permission, like. Uh, the ability to communicate with, like, if, if I send you a message, you are therefore obligated to respond to my message. But this is a stupid idea mm-hmm. and, and something that breaks down very quickly. Like, uh, we're going to get to uh, online dating here in a few minutes in another episode. But one thing I've, I've learned about these ridiculous systems is that some people can be so literally inundated by requests that no human being has the bandwidth to respond to all of them. So this this notion that because... I could respond to you and because you sent me something that I am now therefore obligated to respond to you is a stupid idea. Yeah. Like I do not have to, I have no obligation. I I think the same thing in like politics and and social, uh, social events, you know, I'm not obligated to have an opinion about every controversial thing that's taking place in the world right now. Yeah. In fact, I think it's hazardous to assume that I might have an opinion about lots of things over which I have no control or 
it's a bandwidth thing. I can't have an opinion about everything. Yeah. Therefore, oh, no. it's irresponsible for me to think that I should be obligated to have an opinion about everything. Mm. Because I can't possibly size up everything properly. And also, yeah, exactly. And But the thing is, because you want to size things up properly, I think too many people are just content to have an opinion without having done that. And that's the problem. That's the, that's problem. the flaw in the logic. The idea that I could have an opinion, a, a credible opinion about everything yeah. is wrong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid using, because I don't want this to... to I, I, I kind of know, but, yeah. But I, I had a bunch of friends. There was something that happened in the news this week, and, and people were responding... Right on social media, and had I had a lot of friends that responded positively, and a lot of friends that responded negatively, which made me happy. I was like, "Hey, man, like I feel like I'm not inside an echo chamber." If everyone was saying the same thing, I'd be like, "Uh oh, like I got too many friends with the same opinion." But anyways, um, this particular subject, I went and I did hours and hours of like watching videos and researching on. Not saying I'm an expert or anything, but it changed my opinion on it having gone through that. And I said, "Okay, this is." This is what I believe, and I'm pretty sure it's right because I watched all of this stuff. Like, I heard everybody's stories, and the people that were at that point on the other side of the opinion from me, I had this thing like, you guys, you, you don't know what you're talking about, do you? And I, and I know that sounds so, super, no, no, super. No, I, I like what you're saying because really this is, what, this is what I think is the problem with that methodology is you did that for subject A, but you did not do that for B, C, D, E, F. Correct. So no matter what, we each and every one of us are going to run into a bandwidth issue where we cannot afford to understand and yeah. have sensible opinions about everything. Let me clear that. What I was saying is if you are going to have a strong opinion and publicly put it out there, you should have the knowledge base to back it up. Or you I, I'm, an, I'm going to go a step further and disagree slightly and say I'm not obligated to have an opinion. No, I no, so, I, no, no. Because that's what's happening right now is we're all being encouraged yeah. to jump into a camp. To, to identify ourselves and say, which side are you on? No, no I, I'm not on a side here. I could not agree with you more. I'm totally with you. You do not have to have an opinion. But I'm saying if you are going to and you're going to throw it out there Agreed. to the internet and put it on your social media with huge exclamation parks and curse words yeah. or whatever, like uh, this, uh, that sounded like I was giving a specific example. I'm not. But if you're, like, you're throwing it out there and being mm-hmm. ostentatious about it, you should know what you're talking about. Somebody I really admire put it this way. Um, you don't write, You don't have a right to have a strong opinion about something you haven't uh, thoroughly understood. Yeah. Something to that effect. Yeah. I think he it's, said it more poetically than I did. It, yeah. uh, it was Sam Harris. Sam Harris said something to that effect. And I, I've always kind of put that in my cap. It's like, you don't, you don't have a right to have a strong opinion about something that you don't, you know very little of. Yeah. Like, why, why, <laughs> why are the events that take place 3,000 miles away from me or 5,000 miles or 10,000 miles away from me or in a completely separate culture from my own, why, why would I have strong opinions about what takes place there? So you can share your opinions on social media. Some of it's to virtue signal. Yeah. Some true. of it's to identify yourself as, uh, as good and not as bad. Uh, and that's the part of it that I find really gross, which is actually a good segue to get back to the episode, is that that's, that's what these, these, these uh, interactions as currency are acting as. They're, they're a way of bifurcating. They're a way of, of delineating between a good person and a bad person. Let me show you that I am a good person. Let me, let me exercise my ability to demonstrate that I'm a good person. Yeah. Now would be a good time to uh, introduce our sponsor, um, Metaverse, which is coming. <laughs> uh, the new rebrand of Facebook is sponsored this episode. I'm just kidding. That's, that is not an official sponsor. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> oh. So um, one of the things that struck, strikes me about the episode Nosedive is uh, kind of its correlation with the like button, which is mm-hmm. unfortunately not a metaphor. That's a real thing in our society. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's pretty well documented that ever since the like button was created, and I think it was like 2013 or something like that, that uh, mental health has declined. 
uh, I don't know if you're aware of that. That's that's pretty well understood. Mm-hmm. Um, that ever since we came up with a thing that allows you to affirm another person's uh, existence, we've actually precipitously made existence so, worse. You said that was a correlation study that found that? Uh, it's numbers of different studies. I, I, okay. I can't cite them right now, but... You know how I feel about correlatory data versus causal data. Like just because oh no, I'm, I'm, that's not the claim I'm making. Uh, gotcha. It's 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 well understood that there's a relationship between those two. Oh, things. okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Okay, I was not aware of that, but it makes sense to me. Um, there, someone was talking, and it might have been a podcast, or it might have been just some random interview I saw about. Um, it's essentially what you just said. Once once it's there and you get it, when you stop getting it, it feels like you've been robbed. Like when you when you mm-hmm. start people start liking your stuff. If people were to suddenly stop, and now it feels like something's been taken from you. Nothing's been taken from you. Yeah. No one owes you anything. Like it's such. But that's the way the mind works. Apparently, it's or it's th- strange. This this I think it was a, like an interview with a psychologist, I and mean, he was claiming that or something like that. But um, dude. So the, it's well, what you what you're saying in an indirect way is that it has become a form of currency. And yes. it's, a, it's, a, it's a very zero-sum currency where if you don't have it, you feel the weight of not having the currency. Yeah, so it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm totally guilty of, you know, I'm in a million group messages and I use Instagram and Facebook Messenger. And there's always this, you have to react to their, like if they send you something funny, you have to do the laugh reaction. Or if you don't, if you don't feel like responding, it's just they said something, you have to like it. And since I've watched that episode, I've, I think I've stopped it completely. Maybe hmm. maybe a few have gone through, but I'm I'm done doing it. Like, see, I discontinued. Maybe realize I'm 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 participating in the system where I don't want what it'll lead to. Yeah, which I've I've discontinued that belief primarily because of uh, online dating. Uh, so I, I learned just some through some of my own research. I'm going to get into a little bit more later, but um, some women get 500 messages. So if you're not careful and you're a male interacting with a woman who's you know attractive and available or whatever else um there's a high probability that her not answering you has nothing to do with you it's just a bandwidth thing like how do you manage 500 messages did did i ever tell you the uh the the one online dating thing that story that happened to me so i'm sure so i was my sister was down so my sister oh she was down okay yeah for something and there was a, a Bible study happening in another part of my house, which I was not partaking of. And my sister was in town and she was hanging out with me. And she's like, Mike, you need to start dating for real. I was like, no, I don't. And she goes, I'm going to sign you up for uh, the Christian. The Christian, Christian Mingle. You did tell me this. Yeah, Christian Mingle. And I'm like, first <laughs> off, uh, no, bad choice, bad start. We're off to a bad start already. But, uh, so, so I was like, all right, whatever. Like, if you want to be funny and, and create this, but I'm not. I'm not using it. She's like, I'm just going to create you a profile. Let's see what happens. Oh right. God. So she's sitting there setting it up and like asking me like, what's your favorite? It felt like it's always sunny when they're asking him like, what are your hobbies? Oh, when they ask Charlie. <laughs> yeah. And so finally she, she, she hits okay. And hits like fine matches. And literally the girl who was in the Bible study downstairs gets oh. matched up. I was like, dude, that chick is sitting 45 feet away from us right now. <laughs> oh man. It was so funny. I was like, and no, incorrect. This thing got that wrong. I, I had known this girl. Yeah. So ultimately, uh, what what that what that lesson kind of reminded me is that at some point there is a bandwidth issue yes. where people can't possibly respond, and as a consequence of that, you no one should be obligated to respond to anything. Just because you have my phone number and just because you can send me a message doesn't mean that I'm obligated to respond to you now or ever. Yeah. That's just that's just the truth. You might be one of ten thousand people in my inbox. You're not, but yeah. <laughs> it's possible. Bro. Um, 
I got or like you might <laughs> I got like 35 likes on this one picture I posted. We're good. Or you might just be a person that I don't want to interact with. And just because you have my number or you have my socials do you doesn't any, mean that I'm obligated to do that. Do you have any of those people you just don't want to interact with? One or two. <laughs> yeah, me too. So anyway, um, just because you create this tool doesn't, it has, it's, it's like all things. Just because we create something useful doesn't mean that there isn't some inverse cost. Mm. And the like button, you know, what is the net positive here? Is it, has it made a society better or worse? Honestly, I, my opinion on it now, um, since having, to be, to be fair, started as watching this episode was it is, it is a game. This liking, not, not, I'm not talking about messages, sending a message and responding and having conversation. Obviously that's a very valid thing, but just the, 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 the amount that we just react to messages, like a message, laugh at a message, and we're not actually giving any content. We're just doing this patless thing. That's a game. That's all a game. It's all a social game. And I'm not saying for sure that that game leads to social scores and this crazy blend of dystopian utopia that this mm-hmm. episode portrays. But it still made me realize, though, that it's a game and I don't want to play that game. So one of the comparisons that I thought of when I watched Nosedive, actually, I think I watched this in the inverse order, but um, at some point I watched the documentary Social Dilemma, which mm-hmm. sort of unpacks this subject um, with much more clarity. And they show this graph in the, in the episode that is very, very striking, where from the inception of, I don't want to say it was the inception of the like button per se, but it might have been the inception of social media. They showed a graph where over time, over the last hundred years, uh, suicide amongst teenage girls was very stable. It was a, it was a, very, it was a straight line, just horizontally go, traveling across the screen. When you got to, I want to say it was 2013, it's just skyrockets, unbelievably. And... Uh, Knowing that there's a connection like that, at what point is the entity responsible for the consequence of... I, I'm going to get into some of this when we get to smithereens, but... Um, that's a, that's, that's a, that is a, a crazy question that actually does have real-world implications today. Mm-hmm. Like, at what point do we, do we recognize that... Again, I, I'm not, this is not going to be like a conspiracy theory or we need to do something, but f- Facebook or Metaverse... And these social media platforms do represent society largely. Like they can effectively ban you from participating in society. Now they can't stop you from leaving your house. Yeah, they can that. block your existence. Yeah, but it's it's <laughs> it's it's not going to be it's not going to be long before, like, you have to have a Facebook account or a Metaverse account to go into Stater Brothers to pick up groceries. Yeah, like you're going to walk in, it's going to detect who you are. No, I was having this conversation with my that family. Could, that, I'm not uh, saying that's 100 percent true, but yeah. that could that could be a thing. Yeah. I was having a conversation with my family earlier this week, uh, Thanksgiving, and um, a couple of the girls in my family are now teenagers, and they're excited about getting some iPhones, and I totally am sympathetic with that. I understand. Like, I have an iPhone, and I love having it. Um, can you imagine growing up right now, not having one, how how that would make, make you feel excluded from the greater world? Like, not having the ability to interact in the same way that all your friends are? Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't hazards associated with that. There's yeah. lots of hazards associated. Oh. The thing is, we did that. You and I both did that. We're we're millennials. We I know, but, but the world the has iPhone. the world has changed so rapidly since then. Oh, yeah. Imagine going through high school when all your friends interact in this this atmosphere that you have no access to. Do you know the the number of um, connections that your brain is is able to significant connections that your your brain is actually remember? Um, there's like this this study that yeah, I, I think I know what you're referencing. You're, you're only allowed your your, your brain. It's in Even, the low hundreds, right? Yeah, you're, you're only capable of having relationships with a very small amount of people. Right. Your brain gets a bandwidth problem. Your brain can't possibly remember everybody. 
you might like if you were to go through your contact list right now and you have over 200 contacts yeah i guarantee you you're gonna get through something like i have no idea who that is like i have no like yeah john total bobo like i don't know who that is that's just a made-up name but like i guarantee you if you went through your contacts you'd have that same thing now we're living in social media which again is is fairly new in the scope of it's brand new in the scope of human existence but even in our lifetime it's brand new and now I can basically connect with any single person in the world through social media. There's almost no limits to it. However, the trade-off is is depth versus shallowness and breadth. I, I think quantity, I think that's what's quantity, happening. Quantity is you, it, you yeah. have a small quantity of deep relationships instead of a bunch of surface level shallow relationships that extend very, very, very far. Yeah. I think that's the trade that we're unconsciously making. Yeah, but like some of the benefits of it are we are now exposed to cultures and let's just, let's keep it to cultures for as the broadest sense of the word so much that we would never have been exposed to before mm-hmm. we get we get to see small slivers of how other people actually live and i think that's a tremendous thing but it comes with a cost it comes mm-hmm. with this cost that we're talking about now so let's go back to the episode. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the in the episode is when Bryce Dallas Howard is at the airport. She's getting ready to fly to this wedding, and she has an unpleasant interaction with the uh, the lady at the desk um, because she informs her that she has lost uh, enough credibility that she's no longer eligible for the flight, mm-hmm. and she's barely below the threshold. And she's she's trying to argue with her, like, please, please, I need to get there, like. This, this this thing happened to me on my way here that knocked my credit score down just a little bit, but it was an accident, it was a fluke, like it had nothing to do with me. The person just like misunderstood me, whatever it is. Yeah. And this girl's just kind of smiling at her like, oh, you know, I don't care about that. This is a very simple to understand yeah. guideline and you're, you're below th- the threshold. You're a 3.9 yeah. for, for or whatever Yeah, that's, it a, that's what it is. And uh, so she's she's afraid because her social um, status is, is basically hanging in the balance here. If she can't get to this wedding, she can't vault herself up the hierarchy like she wants to. And she can't live in these nice apartments. So she gets combative, which only exacerbates the problem. Because now this person essentially calls in uh, security enforcement. And they, they exact upon her a very, very funny um, consequence. We are going to give you a full point docking that is temporary. And then during this 24-hour period of, of this full point docking... All uh, unpleasant interactions will be worth double points. Yeah, <laughs> which is to me is really funny because it sounds like a video game. <laughs> like you're in this like you know what? Are they, I'm not you're a it's video like you, game you guy. Up, but you pick up one of the bad power stars. Yeah, or something. yeah. It's like, ah, you thought this was a positive thing, but yeah. no, it's. So for the next 24 hours, any unpleasant interactions she has are worth double negative points. Um, yeah. So now she can't get on the flight, and she her status has been lowered enough that she can't rent the car that she wants to rent. And she's essentially hitchhiking her way to the wedding when she meets my favorite character of the episode, the the lady truck driver. Oh, the lady truck driver. She's awesome. Yeah. So this is the woman who's basically given up on the system. Just she says, just, screw it all. Yeah. Like, she's like a 1.3 and totally with it. Just loves yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I don't know the actress's name, but she, she played um, Matt Damon's mom in Ocean's 12. And she's also in another Apple series. had to bring Apple Ocean's series. 12. I, the, I only one, know her from two other things. The one Oceans movie that no one remembers. <laughs> it's a terrible movie. So bad. When I was young, I liked those movies quite a bit. I don't know if they hold up anymore. Ocean's but, 11 is good. Like, it, yeah. it's, it, it's fun. But it's yeah, fun, it's yeah. Heist movies, like, oh, the, let me guess. You're going to successfully get the heist, but there's going to be some twist to it. Like, well, plus they have such a, a staggering cast for a movie, you know, yeah. like a bunch of people that are interesting. But, yeah, Ocean's uh, anyway. was particularly bad. So she's in that. She's also in a new series on Apple TV Plus. Is that what it's called? What is it called? Apple Apple Plus. Apple TV, right? 
Is that what it's called? Okay. Anyway, a uh, series called Defending Jacob. She plays the uh, one of the attorneys in the show. Uh, anyway, so in this episode, she she uh, plays a woman who just gave up on the system. Apparently, as she starts telling Bryce Dallas Howard the the story of how she used to be chasing the status, just like she is now, um, and why she ended up giving up on it. And I actually love love that part of the episode. She tells a story about her husband and her husband not qualifying for the care that he needed because he wasn't the right social score. And that's what led her to eventually losing her husband, becoming a, a widow, and just saying, damn it all. Like, yeah. this, is, this is not the way I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to kowtow or beg people for their affirmation so that I can belong. I belong as I am. Yep. And it's honestly like, she's, just, she's the magic of the show. Yep. Um, and Bryce Dallas Howard is rejecting her philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. If I get to this wedding and if I kill it here, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to skyrocket up the the social strata and become exactly the person that I want to be. Yeah. She doesn't accept herself for who she is. She just wants to be. And the the, the truck drivers kind of convince her like you're you're building your own prison. Yep. Like just just stop building. Stop and ironically, building. the episode is pro- appropriately titled "Nosedive." Mm. Having heard this beckoning towards an, an alternative philosophy, she is unraveling yeah. towards uh, exactly the person she despises. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, that's kind of how the episode ends. She okay, so she, so through through unfortunate events, she finally shows up to the wedding. But she's like she's soaking wet. She's covered in mud. She's been, oh, and she's been banned. Like yeah. she can't come to the wedding well, anymore. Yeah, yeah, because her social score lowered too low, and the her her the now bride, she's radioactive. The, the wife yeah. is like, dude, when you were a four point nine or a four point four three point one, I think. That would have been like that was the lowest acceptable score for me to invite you and yeah. still benefit both of us. You're below that now. I can't have you. Now you're a hazard to me. Yeah. So she ends up crashing the wedding. To Hilariously. Give, to give this uh, to give this speech that she's she's been working on the speech and she's been teasing it the whole time. Like, oh, I'm yeah. going to tell you, it's going to make us all cry. And then the real revelation that the the white the bride was just using her for her own social score makes that speech so much cringier. Oh man, I was watching. And she, so this she, episode she, is just loaded with cringe. So much cringe. So she's in there. She's giving it. Everyone's just everyone's just watching her. Like, and they're all pulling out their phones, lowering her social score. Like everyone's looking at her like this weird. She just doesn't stop talking. And uh, finally, the, the the wedding is is the last event. The cops come, and her social score. I don't know if it gets put to zero or just gets eliminated or whatever. But she ends up in in jail. Yep. Ostensibly with uh, a, a person that she had seen. Earlier in the episode, and had had the one time she rated someone poorly because he was yeah. kind of socially awkward, a coworker or something like she that. She refused to give him any social credibility because it would have been a hazard to her. Yeah. Now right. she's precisely across from him in so prison. He, yeah, he ended up going to this jail that she's yeah. now in, and call back to the conversation where she had with the truck driver. She starts cursing and yelling and saying all these inappropriate. And how liberating it felt. And the, the guy starts yelling back, and it yeah. ends with both of them smiling at each other and just cursing. And yeah. like, like, this is freedom. Like That is freedom. Yeah. Yep. Freedom is not being uh, hell bound to other people's yeah. expectations. You get to be you. Yep. So I love that episode, and I hate it at the yeah. same time. It's, uh, it's hard to watch. It's a fair assessment because it is, it is entertaining, but it is. It, when you if, if you were to watch it, you'd watch it and go, "Oh my gosh, this this feels so oh. much like it's actually happening." Oh, honestly, Bryce Dallas Howard, like I commend her for her performance because as she performed it, I, I'm like picturing people who I see because yeah, because you know people that are actually that desperate for it's, social approval. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's true. It's so true. Like, you see it in it, the world. And then like it's so cringy because it's so real. 
And then here we are going to use social media to promote this podcast later. <laughs> Please listen and share. <laughs> like and share. It helps the algorithm <laughs> get some more viewers. <laughs> oh, man. So episode three is San Junipero. This one. Okay. So I know I liked White Christmas. Mm -hmm. I think San Junipero is going to be my favorite. Though. Okay. We haven't gotten my favorite yet. but uh, So San Junipero, it opens up on this uh, this lady who the only other thing I can think of that she was in is Blade Runner. She plays the, the, mm. the call girl who Ryan Gosling's smart home hires as a prostitute. Yeah. And it's Anna de Armas is the right. smart home. And then they end up, you know, hooking up as she, like she holograms over the, yeah, yeah, the call yeah. girl. Anyway, so that's, that's who this was, but I, I can't think of anything else I saw her in. And the setting is a seventies or eighties arcade. So let, let's talk about how strange it is because again, the kind of the gimmick of Black Mirror is that you're in some sort of Twilight Zone. It's something weird as some some dystopic or utopic thing. Um, so at well, several it junctures, have to be that, but it has to be. There's, there's there is something significant. Well, there well, like reality with one significant difference. What I want to draw attention to is at different times throughout the episode, you notice that the setting changes, and by the setting, I don't just mean the geography. The the time changes. Like yeah. sometimes it's the 80s, sometimes it's the 70s, yeah. sometimes it's some other time period. I was, I was going to get to that, but. Go continue. <laughs> so no, so that like the, the, the first one that that what, what we see as the audience is the seventies slash eighties arcade bar mm -hmm. thing, and uh, our main character comes in and she's she's a little bit awkward, wearing like kind of nerdy glasses, and she's, she uh, don't know what she's there for, but it looks okay. She's just there at this arcade to to have a good time, and she ends up meeting this other lady, and. She's the, the main character is kind of like not coming out of her shell. She's sitting at the bar. She's kind of keeping awkward. to herself. Yeah. And this this other lady that she meets tries to start cracking her out of her shell and is somewhat successful. Like, mm -hmm. you know, she starts to break out. They go dancing a little bit. And um, as the night goes on, this lady that she has met kind of advances on her a little bit. Not nothing crazy, but like makes it known yeah. that she's interested. And our, the main character kind of reneges a little bit and goes, whoa, like, I don't know about this. And ends up leaving and the night ends and at one point we see the lady that she meets talking about how there's only a few hours left so you know okay what well, something something is going on so they meet they have this interaction and again she, the, the main character is kind of hesitant and doesn't really want to go through like with with a girl she's never done that before and so she walks away and kind of maybe changes her mind you don't know turns around but the, the lady's gone and uh so it's pretty evident, though, as the audience that she's recoiling uh, just from insecurity and fear of the unknown. Like that's it's not rejection, per se, as much as just her own insecurity. No, that yeah, that, yeah. that was my interpretation it's, it's, of it. She's tentative. She's she's yeah. unsure of herself. That's yeah. the reason why there's nothing. Yeah. 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 And she actually wants to yield. Yeah. She's just afraid. And so the the next night or the next time we see this, it's at the same location. But. This, this lady that she met is not there. Mm -hmm. and Now, the setting has changed, right? Because we as the audience are experiencing this and trying to figure the, out what the, the jig is. The first time, it's it's still the same arcade. She ends up uh, going around, and the first time she was at that, the, the arcade, so they mentioned this other this other club, this other mm -hmm. place that was around. I can't remember what the name of it was. Yeah, the really weird place. Is that what the one you're yeah, referring the, to? The, yeah, ends up being like a BDSM. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a strange place. Yeah. So she doesn't know what that is. So anyway, she, she's looking for this this lady, and so she's asking. Oh, by the way, I, we didn't mention this, but Black Mirror is on Netflix. Just for those interested in watching these episodes, oh uh, yeah, we never did mention that. That's true. 
And so she starts asking around, like some, some, some familiar faces that she'd seen previously asking about where this lady's at. And someone tries, you know, why don't you go try uh, this other this other club? She goes there and it's this freaky BDSM sex place. And uh, she ends up running into a guy there, the guy who was with this other lady the first time they met. And she rejected and said, I'm, I'm done with you. So he asks, she, our main character asks that guy, where is this lady? And he suggests, why don't you try another time frame or another time era? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's our first foray into like, yeah. now we see, okay, there's different. The next night she's not in the seventies, eighties. I think she goes back to like the fifties or maybe in the future. I can't remember off the top of my head. Let me, let me but ask, that's, let that's me ask first, a question. The first clue that. Yeah. At somewhere around the same time there, there's also a clarification that there are two types of people in this environment as well. Have they talked about that at this point? The, that's the second time the lady and our main character meet, I believe. They talk about, she asked how many, how many of these people are think are alive and how many of them are, are permanent residents or whatever. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. yeah. So again, we don't exactly know what that means at this point, but yeah. at some point they start talking about this delineation between two, two groups of people in this we, environment. We should note that literally everybody appears to be Normal. 20, 25. 25 30. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like everybody's the same age. All Call them, them uh, prime. Like yeah. they're in their primes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so eventually... The main character does find this lady back at the original bar after she's done some traveling for who knows how long and basically confronts her like, hey, I've, I've been scared my whole life. I've, I've lived uh, clo- not, not close society, but very conservatively, I mm-hmm. guess is the, the right word. I've never really tried anything. I've never had, had yeah. any fun. Help me. Help me have fun. And... That becomes the start of what's... It's a very short, because the episodes are short, but this this kind of relationship between these two. Sure. And um, them... Uh, would, would falling in love be a bad character, no, characterization of what happens over it's, the It's kind person? of a youthful, naive love in, a, in some sense. But yeah. what's what's uh, conspicuous about that is you get the sense from hearing these characters talk that they're, they're talking from a, a position of prevailing wisdom, which you would not have acquired... At their ostensible age, yeah, it's it's very so it's, it's unusual. There's some dissonance between what they're acting like, like they're going out and partying and having fun, yeah. and what they're saying because uh, they're not acting as they are 25 year olds. Yeah, um, part of what I think attracted the main character towards this lady is that the lady was wild and having uninhibited. Fun. Yeah, she was free, doing whatever she yeah. wanted, and uh, she she saw something about that and saw that she wanted that, mm-hmm. and they do. They get that for a little bit. They have this this this. Romantic adventure. Yeah. Kind of a youthful adventure. And, uh, which doesn't seem anachronistic at all because they appear to be youthful. They appear to be young. And at this point, we've only gotten little bits and tidbits of the other thing that's going on. Because obviously, again, these mean. And there are vague references to her, the main character, having a fiance at this point. Yes. They have made reference to that. The main character has a fiance. But Um, there's some, some, there's reason to suspect that that is not what it seems. Yeah. There's no. The very first time you find out about it, there's no indication that she actually loves her fiance. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it seems like this is something that she doesn't want. Right. And uh, I'm trying to think if, if there's anything else of significance that happens before the reveal. I don't think so. Yeah. Honestly, I think I think we can reveal. And just... so at, the, the, at some point now, it's revealed that the, what's actually happening is everybody who's in there. Is in, is either dead or about to die there in hospice or mm-hmm. a convalescent center, and this, that this is some sort of facility San, of technology. San, San Junipero is a 
fictional place, fictional place where you can download or a virtual place. I yeah. shouldn't. It's virtual. not fiction. It's virtual. Yeah. Uh, you can download your consciousness to a device that gets plugged in there, and you don't die. Your your consciousness, your body dies, but your consciousness continues to live in this San Junipero in a fairly perfect place and the and, perfect version of you. Yeah, but you're you're locked into whichever time frame. Like you you get put in there and you're yeah. there. Um, the the two main characters are in hospice mm-hmm. and they're trying to there you can shop around like you can spend five hours per day or per week or whatever yeah. it is shopping around trying to find your version of this and also future. trying to determine whether or not you want this reality yeah do you so, want to continue living like this forever or, or do you want to just die or do you just want to die and let your consciousness die with you and uh so it's revealed at that point that both of our characters are are super old they're you know about yeah. to die and which explains the disconnect with their age and attitude. Mm-hmm. So they are, uh, by appearances, twenty five years old, but they're actually senior citizen ladies that are on the the precipice of death. Yep, yep. And uh, so that they get to, they get to meet a few more times. So we, we, at this point, we get to see them alternate between the older versions of themselves and see them in San Junipero mm-hmm. convalescent virtual thing. And. Uh, the next thing I wanted to go to was the when they meet in real life, but I don't know if we're missing anything there. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, we'll just use this as a little pause for a little aside. Would would you download your consciousness into a machine? No. You wouldn't? No. Do you have any justification? Why or why not? Death comes for us all, man. Okay. I'm not, like... This is this is gonna sound super super like oh I'm trying to be cool and but literally every single person in human existence that has ever lived has died except for the people that are still alive like it's gonna happen to us sure like I've, I've I accepted that a long time ago okay like I'm gonna die one day <laughs> oh. yeah yeah I'm I'm wasn't necessarily thinking but in terms of escaping death necessarily um, because I, I don't think one of the things the episode does a really good job of explaining is that death is not really the enemy. Um, uh, we'll get to that in a few moments. But what I was trying to trying to play with, I guess, is would you reside in an existence that wasn't organic? Would you consider the possibility of let, let's say let's say death? Let's say this is not to avoid death per se, but to extend life. There, let's let's not put a time frame on it. Would you extend your life by entering into some sort of bionic existence or virtual existence like this? Uh, so that you could live longer in, in better health, prosperously, whatever, whatever the case may be. Not, not just to, not just to avoid death. You're, you're, see, that's, 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 are you actually living if that's the case? If your body is, that's that's the question I'm, I'm asking, like, would you accept death or would you accept continuance of life under different conditions than the ones that you're familiar with? If, if, if my body is sitting somewhere, just not moving, then my answer is no. Hmm. Why? I'm curious. No, that's 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 uh, what what does the relationship to your body have to do with it? Because that's like <laughs> you're talking about like separating my mind from my body and putting my mind in this sure. other space where my body is just. But you, you care about the status of your body. Um, if you were to exit, if your consciousness consciousness was to exit that and be put into some other artifice, like for instance, like uh, they kind of do this in what's that movie? Surrogate is that what it's called? The one with Bruce Willis. From like the late nineties? No, it's not that. It's not that old. No, um, I think it was called Surrogates. Surrogates. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. Anyway, yeah, l- called, lots of lots movie of movies. Surrogate. Lots of movies play with this premise where you take a person's consciousness and drop it into another mm-hmm. object. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think my answer is no. I think I, I really? don't think I would hmm. do it. Yeah, I've contemplated it. I, for me, I, there are certain conditions. Uh, now, when it comes to Neuralink, because that's something that that's just not goes, the same. That's just something that goes. That's I, not I, the same. I, at I would all. consider that. Oh, I'm, I'm with you there, but that's yeah. not that's not the same at all. Um, one of the conditions that I placed on it is if I was going to experiment with another form of being, I would want to be able to exit my current reality, drop into that reality, but I'd want to be able to go back. Because one of the things that is unnerving to me is the possibility that you're actually splitting your existence, that you're actually killing the real you and making a copy. So the copy ostensibly lives on as if, oh yeah, that, that wasn't too unpleasant, but it's not you. Like, yeah, that's a clone. Yeah. So in my mind, the way to, to kind of resolve that, that dilemma is to exit and re-enter. Like, so that I know it was still me. But, but why exit then? No, just out of curiosity. Like if I could extend my, my own existence by a couple of hundred years and let's say I'm living a productive life that's meaningful for the people around me, like why, why let that be cut short? You know, who wouldn't want to see Jimi Hendrix have another 10 years to make music? Kurt Cobain, all these people that we lost too soon. You know, you can make an argument that their death makes their 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 contributions even more meaningful. But there's a possibility that JFK had better so, things to do if he had ten more years. So you're you're talking about this this consciousness that you it's not it's not a copy, in the sense that it's, no, no no it's, it's you. Let's right. let's assume it's still you. Uh, you know, if they ever I, mean, I, I suppose if they ever find a way to do that and it's actually transferring your consciousness as opposed to making a copy of it and mm -hmm. putting it into a new shell maybe but the dilemma i have I to, to kind of contradict myself is that in spite of of whatever assurances i could guarantee that it was still me is it still you if you're not organic and and, the, and i'm not making a claim about the body and the importance of the body but do you discontinue to be a person at all if like you don't if, have like the if, needs if of being a human? If, if like if I don't have to eat, if I don't have to drink water, if I don't have to do any of the things that constitute being a human, at what point is your existence still... Also, um, what kind of crazy side effects is your consciousness going to go through separating from its body? It's like you're, you're, you know that... So let's assume that this is all yeah, okay. figured out. But, Again, but what, still, but what is a person that doesn't have to eat, that doesn't have to procreate, that doesn't have to do all the things that we associate with humanity? What, what would a person like that, would you be a person anymore? What would you be? An entity? I don't know. I, I, I personally would prefer to just die. At some I, point, I, I, um, I, I, that's the way I would lean to. Just, I, um, but, I, but again, this the, the experiment I'm running here is not really about avoiding death. It's about perpetuating life. We also don't know, like, if your mind was able to stay alive for a thousand years, your mind not might our minds might not be designed for that. Our minds might snap. After, Possibly yeah. after you know 150 years, like they're just not they're just so old or worn out, and it's like it's not able to die. You know, who knows? So my favorite thing about this episode is at the very end, um, the protagonist is not it's not like a protagonist antagonist relationship, but the main character is making the case that she wants this other girl to stay in this existence with her. Not to discontinue life, but to continue it in this different way. Yeah. So, and she makes the counter-argument that she doesn't want that. Well, before that is the revelation that the main character is actually in a coma. Mm -hmm. um, she's, About to she, die. She's, yeah. she's, not, she's not awake and can move around in the real world. She, in the real world, she is stuck to a bed, right. motionless. Whereas the lady she met... Is not. She's an old lady, but she can move around. She's a little bit slow, but she's fully mobile. She can get around. Not only that, there, there's a, a lot of difference in their, the lives that they've lived. 
she she makes the case that um, I lost my husband, who I was married to for fifty seven years. And you're, you're getting, they, so again, a little ahead, little ahead of ourselves here. So, I'm, I'm 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 kind of trying to wrap okay, this one up, okay. but all right. Um, so she, so she, she she oh I want to say one, one big thing. She agrees. She finds out that the fiance she has works at the hospital and is only there only marrying her because the main character's family is refusing to sign off to let her cross over to San mm-hmm. Junipero permanently. That's an important thing to mention. Yeah. So she has to marry somebody so that the the right is transferred to him, so mm-hmm. he can actually sign her over because her family refuses right. to do it. So her her marriage here is. Practical and yeah. ceremonial at best. It's yeah. not. It's not romantic. It's not. It's just so she can end about up about in San Junipero, yeah. so she doesn't die. She's about to die. Right. And in this case, she's volunteering to cross over voluntarily, which means just do it now before right. I actually die. To euthanize herself, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And in the real world, the, the the lady she met sees this, and they, they meet back in San Junipero, mm-hmm. where the lady proposes to her and says, "Why don't Why don't you let me marry you instead of this random, this random person?" Guy? Yeah. And that makes her very happy. So they get married and oh, okay, I appreciate what you're what you're interjecting now because that yeah. that actually does enhance yeah. the ending a bit. So so they end up they, they end up do getting married, and but but the main character misunderstands the nature of that marriage. Yeah, it was a gesture to help you cross over. You, right, you were getting someone you actually had this significant moment with. To it marry was you. it was not me committing to staying here. Yeah. So and when they're in their honeymoon phase in San Junipero, it leads to this air this this time frame. Where it's like, well, what are we going to do next? And the lady that she met says. Again, this was a gesture to help you cross yeah, over. I'm not staying that. here. I'm not staying here. And it leads to this quarrel between them, which is actually my favorite totally favorite Agreed. part of the, the film. Is because again, <clears throat> we've we've only seen them as these twenty five year old people, twenty five, thirty, whatever they are, living in San Junipero. And we've only seen glimpses of them outside mm-hmm. when they're old. And so we're kind of on on the main character side, like, yeah, this is your chance to be happy. Like why why would you not want to stay? Like this is everything it's heaven essentially, yeah. and the main character is upset and says, "You're you're just being selfish. Your husband was being, so again. The, sorry, this was something we should have mentioned. The lady who she meets, husband died and refused to to, to make the switch over. Mm-hmm. He died and died. Like he's gone. Well, explain why. Um, though that this is the first time we get to see it as sure. the audience is the the main character accuses. She says, "Your husband was being selfish when he did that." And mm-hmm. the lady slaps her. Yep. Says, "You don't know. You don't know anything." We had a daughter, and our daughter died before this technology was invented. And when my husband was about ready to go, he said, I'm not doing something that my daughter never got the chance to go. She's gone. I want to be gone with her. Wherever she is, even if it's nowhere. Yeah. And she says, I've known, like, I've known you for a few weeks. I knew my husband for 50 years. Yep. You can't know all the pain, all the sacrifice, what I sacrificed for him. What he sacrificed for me, and I'm not one getting the whole dialogue, but she gives a, a it's good, beautiful. a good like minute long speech of just saying why she was making her choice, and it was so justified. At the, at that point, I was like, man, the right the right thing. She, is for she you makes to a great case for for, for dying. dying. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's kind of like this this beautiful moment, and you're like, oh man, this is this is cool. So then the episode. Ends. That's basically the end of the episode. But there's a little ending. At the end, the lady does end up crossing over mm-hmm. and joining her in San Junipero, which I actually thought degraded, degraded the episode. I yeah. think I think the episode would have been better had she just died. I, I tend to agree with you because because she makes I would say the more compelling case. Yeah. After that case, I thought the, the the correct way to end this episode is to have the main character find happiness in her new life of she's now. Learning to have fun. Yeah. She she grew up in this again closed society, very sheltered, where she was never able to have fun. 
So her having fun and trying new things is is good for her. Yeah. And the, the other lady that she met dying. She lived. She had lived already. Yeah. Um, I thought that would have been the, the best case scenario. So the ending was a little bit. That's the reason why it kind of loses a few points because mm-hmm. they, they kind of switched up at the end and did have her switch over. It's but. a bit of a trope to say that death enhances and imbues life with meaning, but I, I still it, affirm that it is true. true. Yeah. That the brevity of life that is what gives it so much significance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned Hendrix and, and Cobain and other people who died in our estimation too soon. But one of the things that gives such weight and gravity to the things that they did was that they did it in the time that they had. Mm-hmm. Like, all of us would be genius, wonderful, amazing if we had unlimited time. Yeah. It's how we spend our time that gives life significance. Yep. Um, so uh, it's, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, Apology, uh, the, the, the death of Socrates. Um, when he's, he's come to the end of his life, he's basically going to be executed for uh, perverting the youth, essentially, is the, the charges against him. And uh, he has a choice to either recant his life's work and recant the things that he stands for and believes or to accept death and execution at the hands of his society. And uh, he, he makes the case that I have lived a meaningful life and I've contributed positively to the society that I'm a part of. I can accept that. I would actually rather choose to die than to recant the things that I've done. And uh, he makes this, this case at the end of it that here I am to go to death and you are to remain alive. And neither of us know which of those two is better. Yeah. And that's... that's uh the, the, the trade-off for those things, like, continuing to live is not worth recanting what I've already done. The only hesitance I have is that, and I guess each of us, or at least I myself can say, that I have this aim or this goal for life. And it's sort of ambiguous. I don't know exactly what it is. But it's one of those things that if I were not to fulfill it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want my life to end now. Because I wouldn't feel like the story is finished. And... Now, that may not be true. I could drive off to, you know, whatever I'm going to next and die 20 minutes from now, and that could happen, and my end would be now. Um, but I have this vague sense that there's something I'm aiming at and something that I'm aiming to do. And if it's not done, then I wouldn't want my life to be over. It's not that I'm trying to evade death. I just want to complete whatever it is I'm here to do. You want to finish living. Yeah, yeah, and whatever that means. And, there you go. and to, each his, to each his own. I'm not afraid of death. I just want to finish living. Yeah, Mike Strickland, twenty twenty one. I'll get partial credit. <laughs> um, so I wanted to take a second to observe something that's very surprising to me. You and I, before this episode began, made a guess that this would be forty five minutes to an hour, and we are now an hour eighteen in, and we've only covered three. Oh shoot! And unfortunately, I have to leave in the next twenty minutes. So I'm tempted to say that again. Here we are talking about a part two. Uh, Can man, you believe it? I honestly didn't see that coming. Honestly, I, it's it's funny, you know, because. I've listened to our, our first podcast and you can kind of tell we were a little bit more uncomfortable in that one mm-hmm. and just, you know, trying to, to fill each other out. Not, not, sorry, not fill each other out. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do that too, but turn the cameras off. <laughs> um, you know, this is, this is still relatively new for us, but we've gotten slightly more comfortable, mm-hmm. slightly. Um, to be honest with you, with you, I was very skeptical about how this episode might go. And this is what I hoped we, we actually are delivering sort of what I hoped. Exactly. For. It's just, it's, sometimes it feels like, oh, we're just going to make a list and just talk like, check, 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 check. Oh. These are the three things I liked about that movie. Let's move on. Versus just having a conversation about them. And that, our conversations, like the reason, one of the reasons we started this podcast is because you and I have these conversations very regularly. Mm-hmm. And we just decided, you know, like maybe we should record these and maybe it'll encourage some people to, to, to foray into some movies or TV shows more. But 
This is literally just a natural well, conversation. I, I was just point. reflecting on the fact that if I were to make a list of all the shows that I enjoy watching or all the movies, I, Black Mirror would probably not be in the top half. That's what, but what I love about Black Mirror is it's, it's sort of a provocation and an invitation to think about things that you would have otherwise not thought about, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're doing here. Like that nosedive episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The episodes here for me are a pretense to talk about important, meaningful things that affect mm-hmm. us socially. So for that reason, I, I love it. I love the, the invitation to talk, the invitation to consider things differently. And I, I agree with you on that. Just, just the any, anytime you can look at something that might even shift your perspective, even if it's a small shift, to something that you've not considered even as a possibility before. Yeah. It's refreshing. Isn't it strange how they draw our attention to things that we unconsciously do all the time? You know, like you, you admitted with nosedive, you know. It was not fun. <laughs> but with nosedive, you admitted yeah. that, like, there's this acknowledgement that here I am participating in this game without recognition that I'm in the game. For, for the record, I'm not saying we're to that level of... No, 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 we're not. But, but we're not. Gonna, I am saying it's the same game. You can see what slope you're on. Yeah. Like, I am headed down this path. And I want to just get off that slope. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And here, so, this this episode, like... So, to all my friends out there, if you've been wondering why I have not been liking <laughs> this, this is it. Um, but the other thing I was going to say was, we were talking about kind of the, the, the time investment it takes for movies and shows and all that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you recently rewatched Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. which is one of, I, I think, in my opinion, is one of the best shows, TV shows ever produced. But like, let's say that you're you're new and you haven't seen that show yet, and we recommend it. If you end up liking it and want to finish it, that's a several month commitment. Mm-hmm. E- even if you're watching episodes every single day, several episodes a day, it's still going to take you weeks. There's, I don't know, probably 60, 70 hours somewhere in there. I, 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 that, it's a lot. It's a lot. I, it's I, at least about, forty. Um, whereas a movie. Two and a, two and a half hours is a very long movie, right. you're, but you're done with it after. Most most movies are right. ninety to one twenty minutes. Um, anthologies like Black Mirror, um, Love, Death, and Robots, some of those other ones that are on Netflix are kind of a blend between the two. They're short, so you can just be done with one. You do not have to watch the next one, and you can watch in whatever order you want. You're not missing anything. And also, these stories are not relying on subsequent stories to help them finish theirs. So they have to finish it in their hour runtime. Mm-hmm. And again, we talked about kind of the, some of the decisions that each of the filmmakers had to make for their, their slice of the pie. Like, we, we don't have two hours to tell the story. We have an hour. What do we want to sacrifice? And the, the, the episodes that we've talked about and we'll talk about on our next one, we think have made those decisions well. Mm-hmm. And um, not, none of them are perfect by any means. And I, and I give them a little bit of grace in certain circumstances when they have to expedite things yeah. because you sort of know like hey, you could have taken time and slowed this down and made it a little more impactful but that's not the point you're reading a short story you're not reading a novel what is the story that you're telling yeah place your emphasis there yep. don't necessarily get into all the peripheral details that might make it you know that much better five percent better yeah um so you like you said it's sort of a suspension to disbelief you just sort of let a few things slide because mm-hmm. you're there for the greater narrative the story yeah. that they're trying to tell yeah. and for the most part i think they do that very well yeah it, 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 but being selective about what you're going to what you just mentioned there, this is pretty important. Like if there's some little thing, cause I'm, you know me, if there's mm-hmm. one little thing in a movie, it's going to bother me because mm-hmm. your, your movie, you got two hours, you got to really shore things up right. in, in an anthology where it's just like quickly getting these things out. You, you get the grace. Like, sure. Eh, that, yeah. For a movie, have, it's like, like how would wait this a second. You're the storyteller. Yeah. You're like you, tell me the story that you aim to tell. And if you do it badly, that's on you. Like mm-hmm. you made a bad decision. You didn't tell the story meaningfully enough. 
But yeah, I, I just think it's important going into those knowing that you're getting a story that's had to make these decisions mm-hmm. as opposed to something that got everything it wanted. Had yeah, it, there, there's some decisions. movies that you can make a good argument for that they got ruined on the cutting floor. Yeah. You know, that they had and a you, reasonable story to tell and they just cut it wrong. You could also make, uh, I was thinking about this, the uh, the White Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. If that was developed into a full 90 to, to two hour movie, could could be, be a compelling movie. It could be like Inception yeah. level. Like a, imagine if Christopher Nolan got his hands <laughs> on that thing, yeah. you know. Oh, did you hear? So Christopher Nolan is making a movie about Robert Oppenheimer. I right. think Cillian Murphy, Killian, is yeah. Killian Murphy's playing him. But uh, so Christopher Nolan likes to he, he likes to avoid CGI as much as he can for Inception. That, that oh that, my that god, hallway, I know where you're going with this. Scene, I know where you're going with this. So there's he's gonna blow jump. up. <laughs> he's gonna blow up a real real atomic bomb. Oh god. There were, uh, apparently he was making a movie. Uh, someone asked him. He mentioned that he was working on something with an airplane movie. And he asked the production company for a real 747. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but you see the memes. So uh, I happen to be one of those weird people who really like symmetry. And uh, initially, this episode was going to be five different ep- five uh, episodes of Black Mirror. And now that we're splitting into two, I feel like I have to find a sixth episode <laughs> for inclusion. So that we're doing three and three. Um, so we'll have to think about that. But gotcha. How much? How much time do we have? Uh, I've got to leave in ten minutes. Gotcha. So. So um, I just was gonna real quick. Do we want to talk about the the Spider Man trailer or no? Sure. Yeah. Let's yeah. let's talk about it. So we're we're recording this. This may be a little bit a, few, a little bit of time before it's it's launched. But recently, by the, the time we launch this episode, we'll be about two weeks ahead of the the release. Okay. So uh, Spider Man No Way Home. Yeah. That's the. That's the you know we've 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 talked a lot about Marvel movies, and we are gonna do like an, a follow up because mm-hmm. there's some more movies that come out since then. But the the trailer for the Spider Man movie is opening up at least the possibility for like a multiverse, mm-hmm. which means stories from different parallel dimensions can cross over. In the trailer, we saw that Doc Ock from the Tobey Maguire squirt, uh, the Sam Raimi series, yeah. the Sam Raimi one, same thing with uh, Willem Dafoe as Green Goblin. Um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, the, whether they're in it or not, is really ambiguous right now. They're the implication of, is that they both could or should be. So Because we did see Jamie Foxx in the trailer. Yeah. And that's from the Andrew Garfield universe. And there was that, that one of Andrew Garfield where he's taking off the mask and he looks at the camera and so, so smiles. Yeah. So people were saying that was fake and people from Marvel had said they're not in the movie. And I watched a couple of people break down saying like, here's proof that they are in the movie. So who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, what you, a you, stunt. What a stunt to get everybody... Dude, they, they do this Marvel Oh, cheeks. they're so good at it. So if you, if you go back and watch the, the Captain America trailer, the Civil War trailer before... Oh, I know out, what you're talking about. When they're running each other, Hulk. Spider-Man is not in that scene. You know who else is? Hulk is in that. And that's not true yeah. in the movie. Yeah, so they, 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 they're cheating on their trailers. They're lying. So just because we see these people in their trailers or yeah. not in their trailers does not mean anything. Marvel has been known to edit their trailers deceptively. Yeah. Which, I'm, I, to be honest, I'm okay with because if it's hyping up the movie. So, so to remember, uh, for Infinity War, there's the scene when they're all running on the battlefield towards the fighting the army of Thanos. They show Hulk in his oh. full, full-bodied form running alongside them. If you watch the movie, yeah. Hulk is having that transformation issue where he's in Hulkbuster because yeah. Bruce Banner can't get Hulk to do want, his thing. They, they didn't want that spoiler, uh, of course, though. Well, I, what I'm saying is they intentionally misled us yeah. that he was going to be there when he wasn't. They did this in, in Captain America Civil War at the airport when Team Iron Man is fighting it, running at Team Cap. Oh, they Spider, oh, Spider-Man's I didn't connect the dots. That. They took Spider-Man out I didn't connect the dots the on that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, we know. But anyways, this being the multiverse obviously opens up tons of possibilities. Mm-hmm. For, uh, 
who knows how many good possibilities can come out of it, but it is one of those things that could be done so poorly that it ruins, not only ruins that movie, but it has potential to ruin movies across the MCU. Remember remember what they did with Days of Future Past, where they brought in the old and the new together, and they yeah. did it pretty successfully, I, I would thought say. Days of Future Past was one of the best X-Men yeah, movies. Yeah, but they, it was cool kind of because fixed. they kind of united two different universes inside of you know a single film, and they did it pretty well. This yeah. is kind of the same attempt in some ways. And we'll, and we'll see how well it's done. Right. Speaking of Days of Future Past, I know we're running low on time. One of my favorite historical to non-truth t- crossovers was when Charles accused... Uh, Magneto of killing JFK. He's like the bullet curved, Charles <laughs> or the uh, whatever's uh, yeah. Magneto. And uh, anyways, you know he's trying to save him, but it's just a nice little tie-in. I thought that movie did a lot of stuff well. But anyway, I did that's too. Not what we're, we're so about. Spider-Man: No Way Home. I'm gonna make an. I'm gonna make a claim here or a, a, a prediction. I, I'm excited. I want it to be good. I don't think it's gonna be good. That's my prediction. I'm sad to say. Oh, man, this, this, so this is it. So I, 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 we talked about this, the, the new phase of Marvel as we're stepping away from the Infinity, sure. Infinity like we don't know what's going to happen next. So Shang-Chi came out. We'll talk about that one day. Yeah. I loved it. We're going to do uh, a, a Marvel check-in after yeah. Spider-Man drops. Uh, let me just say, without being, whether Spider-Man, Spider-Man Far From Home or No Way Home is, no way home, yeah. no, is, is, is good or not is going to depend if I watch the next movie that comes out. Okay, so uh, weirdly, I, I was on Twitter yesterday, and I saw there was some trend going on ranking all the Spider-Man films. And whoever was doing these rankings, everybody I saw, they were all ranking No Way Home. So th- these people must have had early access or something and already seen it. But a number of these people, surprisingly to me, put No Way Home as the best Spider-Man movie. So it could be. It's possible. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what I'm. I'm nervous about. I'm nervous about mixing the universes, but I'm also nervous about what I saw from Doctor Strange in the trailer. Something about his actions in the trailer didn't... It's because he's Loki. It's not actually Doctor we'll Strange. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, so... That's, that's one of my theories. Because he's... Because he goes... He's like... Yeah, he's Doctor so Strange reckless and strange. Act, yeah. And yeah. then he blames... Uh, then strange. He, he, bl- <laughs> <laughs> he, blame, he blames Spider-Man for ruining the spell, too. He's like, why did you ruin this? Like, yeah, it didn't make any sense. Like, if you're going to do this spell that has these implications, maybe take five minutes to talk about what's about to happen. Right. Like... So yeah. I'm I'm suspicious. We'll I'm see. nervous. I think it's going to be bad, but uh, I don't. I'm never rooting for it to be bad. I, I I want it to be a good movie. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right. I think that's about it. Let's sign off. Awesome. Have a All good right. One. We're gonna do part two here pretty soon, I guess. Sounds um, good. And uh, we'll find we'll find another episode to satisfy my symmetry. <laughs> All right.